Well, this morning we want to talk about relationships, especially going to look at between husband and wife, but this applies to friends, parents, to children, anybody that matters in your life that you want to see an improved relationship. Take some of the principles here today and apply them. And some of these you can begin applying today. And if you're single and one day thinking about marrying somebody, what we talk about today will be just as crucial. This is some of the top pet peeves, a number of surveys done that people say are the things that bother them the most about other people. Not turning right on a red light, talking too loud on a cell phone, people who take up two parking spaces, people who continue arguing after being proven wrong, invading personal space, talking over other people, complainers who always find something to complain about, chewing with your mouth open, people acting upset just to get attention, and the most common pet peeve is interrupting. Interesting. Here, though, is between couples, what they find are the most common complaints one person has about their husband or wife. Number one, feeling micromanaged. The idea of somebody nitpicking or criticizing or giving directives like make sure you pay the bills or don't forget the milk and always giving orders. Feeling micromanaged. Number two, feeling dismissed when somebody feels they're tuned out or ignored by the other person. Number three, feeling neglected. Not enough time spent together or not enough interest in one another. And number four, feeling unappreciated. A lack of compliments or not noticing somebody's effort. So micromanaged, dismissed, neglected, or feeling unappreciated. This is a common verse here, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 to 27, a common verse when we talk about relationships. We're going to look at what Paul says here and why he says it, and in fact, some of the science we have today that shows us on a biological level what Paul says here is absolutely true, even when you look at it from a physiological standpoint. Ephesians 4.26, in your anger, do not sin. In your anger, do not sin. Paul does not say to never be angry. Some things there are in life to be angry about, such as Satan, the destruction that he brings, the anger about injustice. That is what we call indignation. In fact, you see that in Jesus' life, where we talked about before, if you go and read the story of Lazarus being raised, Jesus himself was angry, angry in the terminology there in the Greek, so angry he trembled. He was so much in righteous indignation opposed to Satan's lies and the sin that had broken people and the fear of death and people being trapped in this bondage to the enemy. So anger at times is something that can be very healthy. Now here's a fascinating study though. We live in a society where people have a lot of toxic anger. And here's an example of where that comes out often in lawsuits. Now, it's not to say there's not a time where you might have a lawyer and it's a very important time to have somebody from that profession. But notice the difference in our culture where people have this idea of payback. In America, there are 281 lawyers for every 100,000 people. England, that number is 82 people. And here's the most fascinating, Japan, 11. America has 281 attorneys for every 100,000. Japan has 11. So we live in a culture where people have a very much the mindset of payback. 
So again, Paul himself, in your anger, do not sin. There's a difference between righteous indignation, somebody upset like Jesus was, where he saw injustice. And then anger that's just wanting to get payback that is just consumed with this idea of revenge. In fact, you'll see there are different times Jesus was angry in the Gospels, but it was always in the sense of that righteous indignation. One of those examples is Mark chapter 3, the first six verses. We're told Jesus entered a synagogue. A man was there with a withered hand. The Pharisees watched whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so they might accuse him. In that culture, the Sabbath day, as it always was in Scripture, was meant to be a day of rest, but the Pharisees made it a day of a lot of extra laws. And so they looked for people to break their own developed laws to accuse them of blasphemy. So Jesus had much to say about that false teaching. And here he is in the synagogue. And they know he's a healer. They didn't doubt that. What they doubted was he was Messiah. And they're there because they want to see if he's going to take pity on this man and heal him. Next verse says this, Jesus said to the man, step forward. The man with the withered hand stepped forward. And Jesus said to the Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save a life or to kill? Notice though, it says they kept silent. They were there to trap him. He challenges them. And now notice what it tells us next. Jesus looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. He looked around at them in anger, the injustice, the lack of compassion, the lack of love. There are things to be angry about. There are other things, though, where anger leads us into sin. And we're going to see how that plays out biologically here in just a moment. It's been well said that the greatest addiction people have is to problems. We hold on to problems often because we have this fear. We're not enough. We won't be loved. But if I hold on to a problem, well, it gives me an excuse for bad behavior. The reality is our blueprint, how we interpret life has to be the thing that changes. Or we stop saying, let me use things like manipulation, but rather to say, let me live with a different standard, a standard like the anonymous person said, I do not fix problems, I fix my thinking, and then problems fix themselves. So the addiction to problems, if I can hold on to something, it gives me an excuse to live poorly. We're called to a different standard, a standard written about by Cindy Walker. She's passed away, but she wrote this song, Child of the King, whole different standard here. Once I was clothed in the rags of sin, wretched, poor, lost, lonely within. But with wondrous compassion, the king of all kings in pity and love took me under his wings. Oh yes, oh yes, I'm a child of the king. His royal blood now flows in my veins. I who was wretched, poor now can say, praise God, praise God, I'm a child of the king. So we're going to look at living with a whole different standard, especially when it comes to what takes place in relationships in the context of upset and anger and some healthy ways to live and heal in the most important relationships of our life. There's a well-known parable out of Budapest, Hungary. A man goes to see a rabbi. 
And he says, I have a small house. It's me and my wife, seven children. It's unbearable at this point. We're all in there, nine of us. And it's breaking up our marriage. The rabbi says, if you promise to do what I say, I'll help you. The man says, if you can help me, I will do whatever you say. The rabbi asks, do you have any animals? The man says, I have a goat. The rabbi says, then move the goat into your house. The man responds, that's ridiculous. To which the rabbi reminds him, you promised to do whatever I said. The man went home, did as told, returned a week later, tells the rabbi, this is chaos. My life is worse than ever. Nine of us and the goat. Now the house is a wreck. It's more stressful than it was ever before. The rabbi says, now go home, put the goat outside, and come back in a week. And as the story goes, the man returns a week later, and he's happy, he's smiling, and he says, life is so wonderful at home. Truly, perspectives, the way we interpret life, our blueprints, changes everything. And we can change our blueprint and our interpretation and our perspective in a moment. Marcus Aurelius in the first century put it like this. When you arise in the morning, think of what a precious privilege it is to be alive, to breathe, to think, to enjoy, to love. Very little is needed to make a happy life. It's all within yourself in your way of thinking. And Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. There are times to be angry about the right things. But don't let it lead into sin. What does that sin look like when we take out our anger on others? We seek to get that payback. We do things to hurt somebody else. I love this quote here by this gentleman, Ambrose Bierce. Speak when you are angry and you'll make the best speech you ever regret. Statistics show two-thirds of people that go to see a traditional psychologist do not improve. Two-thirds. That's a very painful number. But why is that true? Well, traditional psychology is the idea that if you just talk things out, eventually you'll find relief from problems that perhaps have been hurting you for some time. Simply not true. There has to be an action taken. And Paul talks about that next. Just talking about things, sure, it can feel better in the moment. There has to be action, though, taken. It has to be followed up by something that is real and of high quality. The next thing Paul says is an action that you can take, that I can take. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. In short, if you have anger, do something about it. Something constructive. Make the apology. Make the first move. Make the first step. Do something. Don't just sit there. As Jack Canfield said, what you identify with controls you. Do you identify with the anger, with destruction, or do you identify with, I'm a child of the king. His royal blood flows through my veins. I live at a different standard of life. I won't let the sun go down on my anger. This is 
a fascinating study. You can read these. There's been many done about the brain. Essentially, there are three parts to the brain. And look very closely what happens. And think about Paul's words in your anger. Do not sin. When somebody is angry and it's just that pure anger, the rage, that takes place back here at the neck where we call the brainstem. It's the smallest part of the brain. So when somebody's just angry, not righteous indignation, but angry, they are literally, biologically, physiologically using the smallest part of the brain. That part of the brain, the brainstem, is where we have the reflex, the fight or flight. It's there to take action in an emergency. But when somebody's angry, that's the part of the brain when tested that lights up as well. So again, when somebody's angry, literally they are using the smallest part of the brain. What's the opposite of anger? Appreciation is the most fundamental tool of happiness. Dan Baker puts it like this, appreciation is the highest, purest form of love. When you use appreciation, the largest part of the brain, the front and the top, light up. Angry, smallest part of the brain in the back. Appreciation, the majority of the brain is then used. That's what we talk about in biology of higher thinking. Spirituality, living Again, with your mind renewed, as Paul says, on a daily basis. You can appreciate anything at any moment because in a moment you can stop and say, here's something I appreciate. Even if it's not from today, you can say, I appreciate, though, this from last week or from six months ago or something that comes up from years ago that you can say, I really do appreciate that moment and relive that. And you start to use the rest of the brain and you can't be angry at the same time, you have appreciation. One part of the brain or the other is used. And when you consciously start to think, what do I appreciate? You can't be angry because now you're using a different part of the brain that does not identify with anger. You might simply say as a couple, if you're angry, what was my favorite date that we had? What was the first restaurant we ate at? What's the best gift we ever shared on the holiday? What's a time where we laughed till we cried? All these sorts of questions, reflections, and appreciation takes us far out of the place of anger. Leads us more into the place of that 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Holds no record of wrongs, does not envy, always protects, always hopes. These three things remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is love. In your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And the third thing Paul says do not give the devil a foothold. Now we see why it's so important to understand the difference between light and dark, appreciation and anger. 
Don't give the devil a foothold. Give him a place in your life because he gets one foothold, he'll try to take two. He takes two, he'll try to take three. Try to lead you into more sin and more anger and more destruction and devastation. And it grows and grows and grows. Don't give him a foothold. How does he get a foothold? In that anger. Unless you stop and say, not in my life. I'm a child of the king. Love never fails. How destructive is anger when it comes to heart disease, cancer, things like stress and anxiety, other words for anger, far more devastating than cigarettes, lack of exercise, or bad nutrition. Those things are vital to pay attention to, but understand the power of living, again, apart from anger rather than appreciation. So as we close, here's what Paul had to say before he gave the discussion about anger. He says, they, talking about selfish people, they have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. What is a selfish person like? What is a fleshly, worldly person like, as some translations, they have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and to practice every kind of impurity. And Paul's about to say this discussion about anger, but then he makes this beautiful statement here, Ephesians 4, verse 20. That isn't what you learned about Christ. We can look at the world and say, I see people that are angry, no sense of shame, no self-control, eagerly practicing impurity. The reality is, Paul says, though, that isn't what you learned about Christ. He calls us to live at a different standard. He calls us to live at a place, surrender to Him, and walking in holiness and taking action so that we can have our minds renewed, our lives renewed, and see other people's lives transformed. As has been said, you can't change what you don't acknowledge. We have to stop and say, you know what? Maybe I need to acknowledge anger's been a problem. Maybe I have micromanaged my spouse, nitpicking, criticizing. Maybe I dismiss them, tuning them out, ignoring them. Maybe I've neglected them not spending quality time together, not taking interest in them. Maybe I haven't appreciated them, complimented them, or noticed the effort. Well, today's the day to say that that will change. Because the truth is, that isn't what you learned about Christ. The reality is, He calls us to a whole different life where we can say, thank God. I'm a child of the king, and his royal blood flows through me. Therefore, I'll seek to live in love. Handle anger quickly. Don't let the sun go down. Don't sin in anger. Don't give the devil a foothold. Rather be renewed in your thinking, realizing anger using the smallest part of the brain, 
appreciation using the largest part. Living different. A whole new standard. Because love never fails.